know about you, Brian. I could live without fish more easily than I could live without caffeine. That's kind of sad, dude. I know. I'm not proud of it, but that's my cross to bear. There's literal film over my brain until I have that swig that first cup in the morning, usually followed by four of the cups throughout the day. It's not a cheap hobby. Well, can I share some good news with you? Please do. This is where Grady's Cold Brew comes in. Order online and get their famous New Orleans-styled iced coffee delivered straight to your door. Just add water to their all-in-one kit. You get 36 servings of cold brew for less than a buck a cup. So what you're saying is that Grady's will end up saving me a ton of money, but also a ton of time. I won't have to socially distance and lie at the coffee shop because Grady's really like dispenses directly from my fridge. Already cold and completely customizable for my perfect cup. There's a literal bag of cold brew in my fridge that comes from a spigot. How cool is that? I am saying all of that and more. Grady's Cold Brew is independently owned and operated in New York City since 2011. Ready to give it a swirl, Dave? Mm-hmm. We'll get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code BTP20. Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode 106 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting a listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands, because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic. They only pay attention to their favorite band, their favorite stats. They will go on Twitter and rave about the dinner and a movie they show on Tuesday night. When you talk about some other acts, they say, I've never heard of that band. And that's <laughs> not great. We're going to do something about it. It's not great, man. You know, hmm. Fish, as much as we love them, they're doing pretty, pretty okay here in quarantine. Uh we need some other bands to get some love. We got to spread the wealth, spread the love to a lot of other great art- artists out there. And we're here to celebrate the music of Fish, to embrace the creativity and the artistic integrity of Fish. And just like the members themselves, we are here to introduce you to music that has both been directly and or indirectly inspired by them and vice versa. And in some cases may have nothing to do with fish at all, but we think of when we hear a particular jam. And we're very, very excited about the jams that we are going to share with you here today, aren't we, Dave? Yes. In this episode, we are talking about the very Dick's-centric episode. We have the version of Sand from September 2nd. 2012, that was uh, the third night of that run, and the No Men in No Man's Land, also from September 2nd of 2016, 
That was the second song played in the Friday Night Show. So, some themes in this episode include When the Gummy Hits. You know what I'm talking about. The Wall of Sound and the Best of Dicks. On that note, let's get to some dicks. So here we are just after Labor Day 2020. Um, I should be waking up slowly today with about 15 people in my house with a day of come down day drinking and carousing around various breweries in Denver with some pizza to end the night, maybe some grilling in my near future. I shouldn't be returning back to work until Thursday at the earliest. Because I should be coming off of the best weekend of the entire year. And it's been taken from me. And mm. uh, that is Dick's. And um, we are here to celebrate Dick's. The first year since 2010 that we don't have a fish run at Dick's. Uh, well, uh, we all have our very own Dick's traditions. My tradition is, um, I think every year, other than 2011, we've been at uh, my parents' house in Connecticut during Dick's Weekend, celebrating a long weekend. So I would just go into my basement, my childhood basement. There's like some lazy boy chairs. I'd crack a beer. I'd put my legs up while the rest of my family falls asleep upstairs because it's on the West Coast. And I just watch Dick's in my parents' basement and love it. Sometimes my wife comes down, she always passes out on the couch. That's fine. <laughs> but it will probably still be at my parents over Labor Day weekend, but there won't be any dicks to watch unless I go to YouTube and dial it up, which I probably end up doing. But, I will probably too. Yeah. But uh, for the time being, to help you guys uh, kind of heal your wounds and your sadness of uh, no fish dicks this year, we wanted to talk about unquestionably two of the best jams and two of the best runs of uh, dicks over the last 10 years. Um, so kicking things off, we're going to talk here first about the sand from September 2nd, 2012. Why are we talking about this? Well, it's no secret that the second dicks annual weekend of the 2010s being 831 to 9 2012 was a critical turning point in 3.0 and is still one of the best runs the band has embarked on in 3.0, let alone, I would say, their entire career. 
Following two shows with major jamming, the levels of which we hadn't heard from the band in nearly a decade, the band would take the stage for their final set and delivered a perfect hour of music. Kicking things off with the deepest take on Sand since June 7th, 2009, the September 2nd, 2012 Sand showcased the space the band had been growing with since August 2010 with a newfound approach to Cubist jamming, which allowed them to weave different ideas in and out of each other, thus allowing them to color different musical segments before building to a resounding peak. Influencing their overall approach to jamming for the next five years, the weekend and the sand itself was a critical turning point as the band continued to grow from their return in 2009. So, following 11 minutes or so of really deep sand grooves as they're, uh, they're making their way back to the sand coda before concluding the song, Trey, he's got some sirens. So he signals the sirens, creates some space, and then they start to display a patience that they could really so rarely achieve in early 3.0. Um, like we said, this weekend kind of marks a turning point. Mike enters with a bass line that sounds drawn from the Kuiper belt, to which Paige responds in the Fender Roads. And then the band enters a jamming space that kind of feels plucked out of 1998, or even if they're doing kind of like a, almost like a take an I Am Hydrogen. It's a... Uh, Great call. Yeah. It's a true bliss jam. It displays a creativity, clear communication, and an adventurous which directly bled into New Year's 2012, the Tahoe Tweezer, and uh, the peak jamming in fall of 2013. I mean, I like to think of this jam as kind of like, um, if it's sort of like an ordinary, albeit very good ordinary version of sand, took a THC gummy, and then <laughs> said, said gummy kicks in around the uh, like 12 minute mark. I mean, if you want to be nitpicky, and what's the point of having a fish podcast if you're not going to nitpick, is that the jam kind of has next to nothing to do with sand itself and feels a little tacked on, but that's supremely nitpicky. So, I mean, you go from an awesome sand to kind of like happily snorkeling in a coral reef with like friendly clownfish and eels, maybe the eel gives you a high five. It's like sitting on your couch thinking, I don't feel that different. And the next thing you know, you've watched five episodes of Broad City. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's indicative of the huge zone that Fish was in this Dick's weekend. I mean, it wasn't enough to just play a hot sand. They had to take that shit to the next level, and they did. Yeah, and, you know, the other notable thing, and I totally agree. I mean, there's there's a clear out for the band, and I think that they were thinking about coming back into the song and then Trey hit those sirens and it just went off from there. Um, but this, this song concludes with this massive peak, which draws such a straight line to the Baker's dozen. It sounds five years ahead of its time in all actuality. I mean, it's one of the most impressive and groundbreaking jams of the entire era, not to mention the segue as they come down from the peak, you think that they're concluding sand. They Mike hits the baseline at like 23 minutes, but they just draw that right into ghost. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Um, so like we said, this was a very clear turning point. I mean, there were big jams in 3.0 prior to this, uh, the sand from uh, June 7th, 2009, as we mentioned, I think that's really the only comparable version of sand to this. Um, but the 112809, the very celebrated, rightly so, Seven Below and Ghost, both followed a similar trajectory. But aside from that, 
it really took this jam to launch fish into these very um, structured but also open and creative 20 plus minute jams that we're going to kind of talk about some of the comparable versions that came out of this. Um, so kicking it off, uh, the very next show, December 28th, 2012 at Madison Square Garden, uh, Fish opened up uh, the New Year's Eve run second set with a 20-minute tweezer, C major bliss peak, excellent, excellent tweezer. I remember I was in MSG. I saw every Fish show from Dix through MSG in 2012, and I turned to my brother during the tweezer and said, this is what Dix felt like. Like, this is what it sounded like to be in uh, at, at, at Commerce City that weekend. Um, a year later, the uh, October 29th, 2013, Down with Disease from Reading, Almond's Joyous uh, uh, Down with Disease, and uh, another jam from fall 2013, the Under Pressure Twist from November 1st, 2013. Some others we have, of course, August 12th of 2015 from The Man, Recent dinner in a movie, incredible two-set show. That twist also has kind of like a similar underwater feel at uh, at one point. We got January 2nd of 2016. That's uh, being the fourth night of the holiday run, which bled into uh, 2016. That tweezer, classic, classic tweezer rage, right into kind of like blissful pop music that almost felt composed. October 28th, 2016, Golden Age. Maybe the best version of that song they've ever played. Peaks upon peaks upon peaks upon peaks. And then uh, the recently dinner and a movie, Chalk This Torture from Double Chocolate Night, July 28th, 2017. God, if you can't find any joy in that, then your heart is dark as fuck. <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. And to Dave's point with that jam, like, you're going to hear like we, we've reached 2017. We've got a lot of jams here that we compare it in 2017, 18 and 19, because like I said, a couple minutes ago, the sand felt like it feels like five years ahead of its time because so many of the jams that have really peaked over the last two or three years are in this trajectory. So the very next night, June, July 29th, 2017 cinnamon night, you got a huge blaze on to open set two. Uh, the first night of Dick's 2017 uh, started with three massive jams. The first two, No Man in No Man's Land and Carini, both followed a very similar jam style of groove-oriented jamming to a massive peak. Uh, December 29th, 2017, the Homeward Bound Chalked Us Torture. Just an incredible, incredible performance. Anyway. <laughs> six months later, six months later, uh, Ju July 20th, 2018, a jam that we covered in episode 40, the Chalk Dust Torture from the Gorge is just a joyous version. What else we got? August 3rd, 2018, The Ghost from Atlanta. That was another recent dinner in a movie. That's just first set, multi-suite, awesome. August 21st, 2018, from Hampton, The Simple in that first set, 16 and a half minutes of, uh, of just like peaky, peaky bliss. October 26, 2018, Golden Age. This was a very recent dinner movie from, um, that was Friday night in Chicago. We knew that was a good show. Uh, watching it on television, kind of realized how good a show. It was an yeah. amazing, excellent show. 
top five version of Golden Age, your feet will move. And uh, let's see, November 2nd, 2018, Mercury from Las Vegas. Kind of a similar jam to um, the version of Fuego from the Forum earlier that summer, which we love. Three more, Brian, take us home. Concluding here with 2019, we got uh, June 19th, 2019, The Birds of a Feather. There are no bad shows played at Blossom, and uh, last year's show there had one of the best Birds of a Feather ever. Uh, and then our favorite song of 3.0 kind of has taken over as one of the big jam vehicles of the era and really delivered two fantastic uh jams in this style in summer 2019 one of which was the june 28th 2019 mercury from uh, camden new jersey awesome awesome second set opener and a week later the july 5th 2019 mercury very easy highlight and a very underwhelming boston run so we'd recommend if you dig this sand um checking out all these other jams these are excellent jams of the era and we know that uh you will find some comparable language in there and some comparable joy. So before we jump into the sand jam proper here, we wanted to talk just as about the Dick's 2012 run as a whole, a run that admittedly, and I think in some cases on purpose, we haven't touched really on this podcast. There are so many great jams from this run. There's so much that we could explore, but um, we've kind of been saving it. There's, a few ideas that we've tossed around and a couple other jams we'd considered for this episode. Um, but ultimately, we wanted to give tribute to what was one of, if not the most important run uh, in 3.0. So stepping back one year earlier, when Fish began their first Dicks run in 2011, I remember they were openly mocked as these being this like faux Grateful Dead stadium run in a shitty suburb of Denver. As a current resident of Denver, I can clearly say that. Um, I only <laughs> go to Commerce City for one thing, and it's dicks. Uh, throughout the lengthy summer tour of 2011, which included three night runs over Memorial Day, 4th of July, and here Labor Day, the first dicks run kind of felt like something of an afterthought especially after excellent runs at Bethel, Watkins Glen, and UIC. Going into it, it really kind of felt like bonus fish in a way that Mexico does nowadays. And I, I recall, like, I didn't even purchase the web, webcast until, like, 30 minutes beforehand. I happened to have that Friday night off, and I was just like, okay, I'll watch the fish show tonight. I was kind of, honestly, and I, I don't, come at me with your hate mail but like i was ready for just like summer tour to be over and start getting on with my fall it didn't seem like an essential thing at the time for me the band showed up in a way that essentially rewrote their 3.0 story and pushed them to experiment regularly i mean that first dicks run you go back and listen to those shows every one of them is extremely hot uh it's not as groundbreaking as 2012 um it's not as you know, um, high octane as 2016, but it's a great, great run. And it really set the table for, uh, what fish was going to do going forward. You know, what, what began as experimentation and setless gimmickry has since grown into an annual celebration that feels like a marking point for where fish is at in their current year, as well as the closing of a particular chapter in their, in an era. It's my favorite weekend of the entire year. 
I mean, there's really few guarantees in fish life, except that Friday Night Dicks is always awesome. Fish love dicks. I mean, I have no idea if that was designed to be a tradition at first, but it certainly turned out that way. I mean, like I was saying earlier, I've never been to Dick's because it's far from the East Coast, and I've got two kids, but we usually visit my parents that weekend, so my tradition is to uh, stream in my parents' basement, which has a large couch and a treadmill and a sizable collection of instructional golf and uh, skiing VHS tapes in the late 80s and early 90s. <laughs> so... You know, often Dix kind of offers a review of the year at large kind of in the same way that the New Year's run tends to, especially in years when there's no fall tour. Uh, the band kind of uses Dix as a way to cap off the summer. They do their best hits while hinting at the way forward and, uh, you know, sends you off happily. And nowhere was this better and more apparent than in the 2012 version of Dix. No, not at all. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Um, so in terms of breaking out the shows here really quickly... So August 31st is the famed Fuck Your Face show. Uh, I would say still to this point, eight years later, it is easily the best and most important show of 3.0. It is my favorite show I've ever seen Fish play out of 75. You just get this incredible combination of set listing and jamming that changes everything for what the band could do going forward. It was not so much that the band played a show like this afterwards. It was simply that this almost like freed them from whatever limitations there were prior. There were still roadblocks to overcome. There were still challenges that they had faced ahead of, or they were facing ahead of themselves. But um, there's a clear line from this show to fall 2013, uh, summer 2015, the Baker's Dozen, so on and so forth. You get incredible jams, all of which I require I re- required listening, I should say, but I recommend to everyone to hear, even if you've heard it before, of Carini, Undermind, Runaway Jim, Farmhouse, <laughs> and Chalk Dust Torture. It's just it's it's an incredible show. So September first, no sophomore slump. This is an incredible follow up. They open the show with Antelope, you get a tweezer and a fluff head in the first quarter. Big, big golden age into Caspian with a jam. and uh, But you can't talk about September 1st, 2012 without talking about the light, a.k.a. Dick's Light. Anybody who uh, takes Fist seriously knows what you're talking about when you say Dick's Light. Some folks say this is the best Fist jam to date. Um, it's not mine. It's not my, um, I mean, I'm saying it's not my favorite, but I won't think you're crazy either if you think so. It never feels forced. Lots of parts and peaks ridiculously high, like a stanky Viola Lee blues jam. It's just, uh, it earns every bit of the Trey Wankery, which comes in like the last five minutes. It's fucking incredible. I, I never really drew the connection of Viola Lee, but it, it's so true that, like, that just, that peaking jam at the end there, it's just, it's incredible. Uh, it feels like 60s psychedelic dead. It's wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm agreement with you. I don't think it's the best jam of 3.0. I think it's one of the most important jams, and I think it's still it's shocking how much that jam holds up. Like, there's a lot I love about Summer 2012 Fish. We saw it as of time of recording last night, watching the uh, BGCA uh, um, mm. dinner and movie, the Cross-eyed uh, Light Sally Cross-eyed segment. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of great moments in 2012 that 
don't hold up as much as like those two segments do. And it's just incredible to hear that light. But I would agree. I don't think it's the best three point yeah. gym. That Dick's light, it's almost it's almost like December 30th, 2019 tweezer and the fact that it almost feels composed, it's like so seamless. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But, totally. Right. So the final night, the show in question here, uh, September 2nd. Um, this has a solid set one. Following Sand, you get an inventive version of Ghost, an excellent Piper, 20 years later, Lizard's Hood. At the end of Hood, as they're fading out, Trey says, I don't want to go home. And I know exactly how he felt. This is the perfect conclusion to, at that time, the best summer tour of 3.0. And on that note, let's listen to a little bit of the Dick's Sand from September 2nd, 2012. Thank you. 
Let's face it, having a lawn is awesome. Maintaining it, not so much. It gets tiresome and expensive, and you should be enjoying it as opposed to constantly mowing it. That's where Sin Lawn comes in. Sin Lawn is environmentally friendly. There's no watering, no use of pesticide products, no mowing, it's very low maintenance, and you save money. Sin Law uses bio-based ingredients such as soy and sugarcane. It's made in the USA in the state of Georgia. They're the largest manufacturer and installer of synthetic grass. And they have USDA bio-based certification. It's the safest and cleanest turf available. Great for kids and pets. You get no muddy shoes, socks, or paws. Professional and cl- certified distributors and installers nationwide. You get a premium quality product, which is highly durable and UV stabilized. You get your free time back. You can enjoy your yard instead of working to maintain it. And you can have it in your yard where grass will not grow. It's green all year. It's really great for residential homes, playgrounds, roofs, agility, golf. You want a golf hole in your backyard and, and many more projects. So please visit sinlawn.com slash beyond that's s-y-n-l-a-w-n.com slash beyond get along you can be proud of all the time be proud of your neighborhood don't be that one guy in your neighborhood with the brown lawn who the neighbors gossip about over tea or even better up your short game in a major way your golf buddies and your neighbors will thank you sinlawn guys feeling those gummies i am i know i am man what a sand so segment one before we jump into the no man's a little bit later the sand gummies when the gummies hit it's always a good time we're going to talk about two records two bands two jams two songs that uh really make us feel like that 30 minutes after you have a little bit of gummy, you're just feeling good and warm. Your head kind of starts going to interesting, funny, kind of weird places. Sensations start popping up. And uh, we're going to do that here with two bands, two records that uh, we think you guys would greatly enjoy and uh, really connect kind of to this larger feeling we're talking about here with the sand. So I am going to talk about a band that is very near and dear to my heart. That is from a label that is very near and dear to our hearts, from a country that is, I don't think either one of us have this in us, but uh, I would love to live in this country at some point. I can just tell you that much. And that is Kiki Pow, their 2018 record, Hissy, which I, I, I may have talked about this band before. I may have even talked about this album before. I may have even talked about this track before, but Kiki Pow is so good and there's such a clear way to connect them to so many fish jams and you should all listen to them. So here goes regardless. So Kiki Pow is a four piece band from Helsinki, Finland, who began as a straightforward guitar pop group in 2007, but changed course pretty dramatically after their second album in an effort to focus on space and time and jam 
and 60s psych pop and British psych folk and 70s Kashmish music, among other styles that filter in and out. In 2013, they put out an outstanding record called Pines before going into a semi-hiatus. Hissy, their 2018 follow-up for Beyond, Beyond is Beyond, didn't catch my ear until the early part of 2019. Otherwise, it would have surely made my top 10 of 2018. Quite honestly, I think I've listened to this more than all of my top albums of 2018 combined in the years since. It's just so damn good. Hissy is an old Finnish word, meaning sacred grove, a place of worship, cemetery, pertaining to mythological localities. In later years, as Christianity took hold in Finland, it came to be known for its description of evil gnomes, spirits, or other demonic entities. Some used it to describe those who didn't incorporate into the Christian culture of Finland and chose instead to remain nomadic. The song in question, Hissy, is broken into two parts on the record, covering 17 minutes. It was originally improvised and represents where the band was going with their music during their five-year hiatus. Says the band on the album and the song, the album is like a spontaneous mystical experience whilst getting lost on a camping trip in the woods, shedding light into the dark, dusty corners of ourselves and finding a way back, perhaps a bit sore, but more complete. The record fuses folk, jazz, krautrock, prog rock, and free improv with space, motoric, and ever-present bird sounds filtered in and out. If ever there was a record to accompany your hike or simply give you the sentiment of being outside amidst the world while, while within a pandemic, it's this. Moreover, this record has always given me the same sentiment as the Dick Sand in its ability to make you feel like you're floating away, much like a five milligram gummy will do on a Thursday night or Tuesday night while watching dinner in a movie, I should say. So we're going to listen to a segment of Hissy Part 2, the second part to the main title track of Kiki Pau's fantastic 2018 record, Hissy.
All right. I uh, concur with Brian that uh, Kiki Power Record is a fantastic album. Have it on vinyl, pull it out quite often. So, uh, on the subject of gummy jams, it's been uh, on my mind a bit lately. I was actually in Northampton, Massachusetts last week uh, on vacation, did a house swap of sorts. We were a seven minute walk from a place where you can buy such things legally. So, we did. It was good. So I'm going to talk about an album, self-titled debut from a band called Stonegrass. And the track we're going to play is the uh, 12-minute song called T. So Stonegrass is a recentish project from um, the Canadian psych rock renaissance man Matthew Doc Dunn. Doc Dunn, people call him. You can't stop Doc Dunn. You can only hope to contain him. And if you ever want a, a good time, go to Bandcamp and check out um, Cosmic Range Records. I think that, that's his label, just to see the uh, breadth and depth of the man's work. Lots of droning ambient pieces that are allegedly for ballet. Uh, in 2018 and 2019, he kind of put out some Loverman Country Soul records, the best of which is probably Lightborn, which I think uh, we talked about on the podcast before. His band, called the Kazakh Range, have also served as the uh, backing band for Meg Remy's U.S. Girls, excellent Canadian band. So yeah, Doc Dunn is all of and none of these things. So Stonegrass, it's a project with the uh, fellow space traveler Jay Anderson who plays drums. And I think uh, Dunn plays the bass, guitar, flute, and organ. Name of some uh, very stonerific psych rock. Kind of um, what I get from this album is most evocative of uh, the freakiness of the original P-Funk guitarist Eddie Hazel, who uh, really, I think, was every bit the innovator that, uh, that Jimi Hendrix was. And if you need proof of that, listen to the title track off of the incredibly classic uh, P-Funk album, Maggot Brain. It's really something else. It's just a lot of really hot music, psychedelic instrumentals that kind of flow like lava. And Doc Dunn is really good at making music that kind of sounds like a lava lamp looks. You see these little tiny globules going in and out of uh, hot psychedelic music. Plus, the album has awesome artwork from Daryl Norson. It's a bearded guy lying on his back inside of someone else's head. So, you know, that's a good sign. And this really is an excellent record for lying on your couch, preferably when uh, your wife is not home, because she's like mine, she'll say, what the hell is that? Turn it off. Good record for lying on your couch and contemplating what it all means. So, let's listen to uh, the song T from Stonegrass.
All right. New album recommendations. We haven't done these in a while. We've had a couple special episodes here in August and uh, wanted to highlight some new albums that have come out here recently that I believe both of us bought on Bandcamp Fridays and um, have been fantastic additions to our overall collections this year. I'm going to talk about Zachary Kale's False Spring. This is the sixth album from the Brooklyn singer-songwriter and his first in five years. This record came to me like many do of late from recommendations given by John Hart of the Broke Down Podcast and Jeff Conklin of the Avant Ghetto and has been my favorite backyard fire pit record of summer 2020, which is also my favorite act of quarantine. What a title for a 2020 record, False Spring. We got a false spring and then a false summer, and we're just going to run right back into deep fall and winter, it feels like, and it just constantly feels like the world is a step away from falling apart, and yet this record is there for reassurance and compassion. Describing the last five years as one long winter for Kale, this record feels like a rebirth of sorts, and it sure feels like one, more so through his music than just his lyrics. Lyrically, he shares more in line with Cass McCombs than Jeff Tweedy, the comp there due to the rambling and troubadour nature of his songs within an alt-country structure, though like Tweedy, the mood and distortion leveling on his instruments tells almost as much about his songs as the lyrics do. It's a weaving and fluid record, the kind you throw on, zone in and out of due to its feel rather than any bloat, and when you come to, you're pleased with what you hear. It feels like a lazy day in a cabin where you throw on a pot of coffee at 11 a.m., scan a few pages of a book, go for a walk, maybe make some soup, sit idly by, all while the day passes by with little care. There's feeling and joy here to be sure, but little is asked of you while plenty is given. The mood is what matters, the goal, the moment. Two instrumental tracks contained within, you feel like you're spinning in a collection of thoughts and ideas from Kale's mind throughout the last five years, hearing him as his, at his most contemplative and least urgent. True to the mood I've described here with regards to Zachary Kale's False Spring, I first listened to this record while prepping meat for brining for a day on the smoker. I recently purchased the album based on the above recommendations and casually spinning loving two of the three tracks. I wondered aloud if I'd heard a better record this year. I have, but that's not the point. And I immediately sent the record to 15 of my closest friends, people like Dave, who I basically send everything to at this point in time, my buddy Colin, who I spent months in a cabin with, my brother, who woke me up to people like William Tyler and Hisco the Messenger, Ben Greenfield, who I select very specific records for, etc. You get the point. Over the next two days, while learning how to smoke meat and crushing smoked salmon, I listened to this no less than five times and still continue to. It's an incredible, it's an incredible record you should spin and buy. So please check out Zachary Kale's False Spring. That is a fantastic album. I'm going to talk about a, a compilation record on Bandcamp. This is called The Storehouse Presents. Um, it's a compilation I believe is, is exclusive to Bandcamp. So The Storehouse, um, from what I've been read, 
in the liners of this, it's a multi-purpose space in the rural town of Galleon, Michigan, and it's owned by Penny Duff and Michael Slabek. In addition to uh, running a catering and private chef space out of it, I guess beginning in 2007, uh, the owners have used this place to put on concerts and various events with musicians that will be largely familiar to the Beyond the Pond community at large. So, obviously, once the pandemic took hold, the idea of having indoor concerts in your house for 70-plus people is no longer a sound one. So, the owners elected to put together this compilation in which the proceeds will go directly to the musicians and the Music Maker Relief Foundation. And uh, really, like, the lineup on this compilation kind of reads like Beyond the Pond Fantasy Camp. It's a... Steve Gunn and William Tyler, Meg Baird covering The Grateful Dead, $75 Bill, Joan Shelley, National Information Society. I mean, you know, you see what I'm getting at. Like, there's live performances, there's rehearsals, uh, there's some studio tracks. You know, often these types of kind of somewhat quickly assembled Bandcamp uh, compilations kind of contain odds and sods that barely qualify as barrel scrapings. That's not the case here. I mean, each of these songs ends up being fantastic and worthy of any of the artist's official releases. It's really an embarrassment of riches. And, um, you know, given that the money goes directly to the musicians and a good charity, this is something anybody who likes this podcast should really check out. It's, uh, I've just been putting it on frequently and kind of marveling at the goodness within. So go to Bandcamp, check out the Storehouse Presents compilation. Dave. Yes. It was another 18 inning loss and a meaningless season for the Cubs. I am reeling today. Mmm. Sounds like you needed some get a little pep in your step, son. A little little extra pick-me-up. I do. This is where Grady's cold brew comes in. Order online, get their famous New Orleans-style iced coffee delivered straight to your door. Just add water to their all-in-one kit and get 36 servings of cold brew for less than a dollar a cup. So wait, what you're saying is that Grady's is going to end up saving me a ton of money and also time. I'm not going to have to socially distance in coffee shop lines because Grady's dispenses directly from my fridge, already cold and completely customizable for my perfect cup. There's a literal bag of cold brew in my fridge that comes with a spigot. Do I get a division win this year? That remains to be seen, but there most certainly is a bag of coffee with a spigot in your fridge. Furthermore, Grady's Cold Brew is independently owned and operated in New York City since 2011. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code BTP20. All right. So typically this is the time where we go into our second segment about the jam in question, but there's no dicks this year. We needed to do a little bit, something more. And when we were talking about how do we honor dicks, we just kept throwing out so many different jams that we could talk about. And we realized there's more than one Dick's run to focus on, and there's more than one Killer Dick's jam. So here we are focusing on a wild, 
Wall of Sound, No Man in No Man's Land, from September 2nd, 2016. So why? Why are we talking about this? Well, following a lackluster summer tour, uh, Dave and I, we agree on a lot of things. There are some things that we disagree on. One thing that we are staunchly in agreement on is that summer 2016 was the worst tour of 3.0. It is just awful, isn't it? Yeah. Let's not mince words, though. Not without its highlight, summer tour 2016 was not awesome. And I mean, coming off of the well-oiled Trey Mastery of 2015, at times it was downright concerning. I mean, seriously... What do you remember as being awesome from summer of 2016? A Mike's groove with tide turns and devotion to a dream like in Portland, Maine? How about the <laughs> second set of Philly, June 29th, that proceeded to go meat stick, the line, tide turns, backwards down the number line? And then there was that weird tick where they did these like faux widespread panic like drum jams where they all like started playing percussion. No. No. <laughs> no. You know, you got the second set of the first night of the Gorge, which is great. Great Woods set two is great. There's great moments in Bill Graham, um, tour closer in Chula Vista. I love that show. But well, actually, I just want to correct you. Great Woods was great until the PA blew out. Oh yeah, that and was kind they, of a uh, they limped to the finish line. It's kind of a symbol of the tour, if you will. Right. Um, despite the August Lock-in shows being a lot better than you remember. Frankly, there was a lot riding on Dick's 2016 as they entered that weekend. A correction was badly needed. Yeah, coming after uh, that Friday night, coming after a very serviceable ghost, this version of No Men in No Man's Land was the second song of the entire run and proved that fish is still plenty capable of melting your skull when they decide to. I mean, this version builds to a churning, insistent wall of sound that features kind of what sounds like an X-Wing shooting lasers against rebel fighters and a constant <laughs> drive that probably freaked out a lot of people that got puddled too early in the show. And then like the next song is Breath and Burning, which you almost is required to bring people back down to earth. I mean, I think Friday wasn't the best show of the run. Uh, in my mind, Sunday, clearly on account of its relentless second set, is the best show, but... Uh, this No Man in No Man's Land showed if nothing else. You know, fish are very cognizant of their surroundings, and they know how to make a statement. Yeah, and, you know, whereas the sand that we talked about in the first segment is a cubist bliss jam with a massive peak at its conclusion, the No Man's here, uh, here's the band lock in around a rhythmic groove that builds over 10 minutes into a wall of sound jam, which kicks the entire weekend off in a fully connected way. For a song that relies on a groove to fully lift off, it has evolved into a deeper jam vehicle. This version picks up on the groove and rides it to a demented peak. So just briefly, we think some of the best versions of No Men in No Man's Land, or as um, me and some friends like to call it, the Wegmans in No Man's Land. It's a bit of an inside joke about the Wegmans in Brooklyn. <laughs> we have July 21st, 2015. That's the debut. Not the best version, but uh, a lot of people got really excited about that debut. It's kind of 
it arrived really like fully formed that weekend at uh, in Bend, Oregon. Was that a weekend? Or was that the middle of the week? Uh, it was a Tuesday night show. Tuesday, okay. But yeah, yeah. it just like popped out of nowhere, and right. Trey was obsessed with the Mutron uh, during right. that that tour, and it just fit that song perfectly. Trey wanted every song to sound like Jerry Garcia estimated profit. Yes. <laughs> so, going back to the best no men's, of course, we've just talked about it on this show, August 12th, 2015 of Man in Philadelphia. Soaring Type 1 Jam, maybe the best set of 3.0. Not far off. Um, December 31st, 2015. Maybe the best New Year's show 3.0. This uh, no men's kicked off the Hourglass Jam in set three. Lots of really cool improvisation. And then when there's the uh, September 2nd, 2016 Wall of Sound, which we're talking about right now. So going forward, Baker's Dozens, Lemon Night had a really great No Men in No Men's Land on August 4th, 2017. The Jam, of course, would be reprised in Sense and Subtle Sounds, which was quite cool. September 1st, 2017, outstanding Friday Dick's Jam, 24 minutes long. One of my favorite jams I've ever seen live. Uh, December 28th, 2017, the night to kick off the New Year's run of 2017. Another massive 24-minute jam to keep them rolling at MSG. And um, the night after one of the recent dinner and movies, October 27th, 2018 a wild and weird improvisational jam that matches the hampton golden age for weirdness in fall of 2018 and uh made some of us think that they were going to actually play the residents on halloween yeah right (laughs) um chicago night two of that run the no man's was amazing not as good as friday right crazy no man's yeah so in terms of this run here, 2016, um, I would say that this is the second best run that Fish has played at Dick's. Um, really high quality shows, a lot of energy. I would say that this, uh, the 2012 show, obviously would be number one in my mind. Um, and then from there, somewhere 2011, 2014, 2015, 2017 are all kind of mixed in as really quality shows or really quality runs that had a few more flaws to it. But um, running through this uh, run here, kicked off on Friday night, September 2nd. We got the second Dick's run to open up with a ghost, the other one being 2013. And set one contained kind of a loose feel with Undermine and Stash and Ass Handed mixed in, plus a very syrupy. 46 days closing jam set to a bit herky jerky but a great segment in tweezer that segues into runaway gym and then into Susie greenberg to close it out in an old school manner you get the first mercury since september 5th 2015 i think that this show would have been a high point in july of uh, the 2016 tour um, it definitely had moments that showcased where the band could go forward in a strong way the no men and no man's land jam kind of hung over the entire show in a lot of ways uh, for its energy. Plus you got these like non-traditional set list uh, placements. Uh, Antelope open set two, Ghost open set one, and Tweezer very late set two. So it all kind of felt slightly out of place in a cool way. Yeah, the next night, the Saturday show, Slay the Traffic Light opener, which hadn't happened since November 5th, 1988. And immediately that kind of sets the show on a unique course. 
There's a first set down with disease that's not quite type 2, almost like a type 1.5. Very, very good. There's a standalone version of What's the Use. I mean, I kind of thought that was kind of cool. I enjoyed that. Slightly standard set one, yet, you know, sort of off kilter. Kind of uh, when you go back and listen to it, you kind of, you know, you feel it's a little bit, a little bit different. Set two really tries hard. Hard never quite fully connects, even though we kind of love bits and pieces of it. Blaze on, big simple, solid twist in Harry Hood, and then there's the uh, interesting squirming coil encore because obviously uh, Paige usually is the one to bring it out, but this time Mike does with an honest to god bass solo. You don't get a lot of standalone bass solos in fish shows, and it's really cool. Yeah, it's a cool way to close it out. There's nothing really like gimmickry about it. It feels pretty natural when they all walk off the stage and Mike just gets to close out the night and huge cheers from the crowd. It was a it was a cool moment. Um, and then closing out the summer tour, closing out the Dicks Run, September fourth, Sunday night. Of every show played in summer 2016, this is the one where fans were able to take a deep breath and relax, knowing that everything would be okay. In short, this show rules. Other than the MoMA dance. Oh, yeah. The MoMA dance has like a weird flub in it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got like a flub. And you you see in the video, Trey has his hand saying like, take it down, guys. Take it down. <laughs> Other than that, though. You got a show. Yeah, great show. Mike's we, Mike's wingsuit into Weekapog is a very is a great mid set one highlight. The bathtub gin just fucks. Uh, it it just does. The uh, the melt the tube. It's all energy. It's a great way to kick off a Sunday show. I remember just like watching it streaming from home. Um, I could not be at this show for personal reasons. I was supposed to be at these shows. Um, watching it at home, I was just like that entire stadium looks like it's going to collapse at the end of character zero it's just not like crazy bust outs not crazy jams just like all out energy that everybody loved second set of this show one massive segment of music which i watched in my parents basement my feet up on a recliner just like gorgeous 20 minute cross-eyed and painless into steam into piper which actually had a cool drum segment usually when Every member of Fish played the drums in 2016. I'd be like, you guys think this is cool? It's not. <laughs> this was actually really cool. Yeah, this one worked. I love the cross-eyed. The, the jamming cross-eyed is just gorgeous. Trey sounds really good. Uh, you get a huge light into Lizards, and then you close down the set with First Tube and a Walls of the Cave encore. Uh, it's one of those sets that you press play at cross-eyed, and you just don't, you don't let up. Um, Everyone left this show and this run stoked for what was to come in the fall, and the band would clearly build off this to them. So, before we jump into the No Men's, we wanted to go through what we think are the best shows that Fish has played at Dick's. Uh, they have played, I believe, 10 runs there. Uh, it's If you've never been, I highly recommend making the trip out there even if you see a underwhelming uh, sh uh run or like not one of these like best runs that we've heard from the band it's still such a joyous experience you walk in it's summertime and you walk out and it's fall and it feels so communal and celebratory 
and sad at the same time. I always feel so sad when I leave dicks for the last time. But that said, the best, best dick shows, according to Beyond the Pond. September 2nd, 2011, the first dick show, the S show. Susskind Hotel. Susskind Hotel. September 4th, 2011, the Sunday night show, the first year of dicks. Uh, excellent, excellent second set. Come together, Ghost, Guy Forget. August 31st, 2012, the Fuck Your Face show. September 1st, 2012, the Dick's Light Show. September 2nd, 2012, the Dick's Sand Show. I mean, just really, really great stuff. What, what else do we got? Got August 30th of 2014. That was the Dick Simple. That's just like watching the inner workings of a grandfather clock. That thing just goes. <laughs> we got September 6th of 2015. September 4th of 2016. That was the show we had just discussed. That was night three of uh, the 2016 Dick's Run. September 1st of 2017. That was uh, the first show coming out the Baker's Dozen. That has a second set that's just... It's like an album. It's a piece unto itself. It's totally great. <laughs> Good point. Good call. Uh, August 31st, 2018, Friday night, Dicks 2018. Um, one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. First show after Curveball was canceled. Harry Hood in the second slot. Ghost in the cross-eyed. Uh, huge, huge Karenian light in set two. And then August 31st, 2019. I think that this is potentially an unpopular pick. I apologize. Um, but I would argue from Ghost through, I believe it's Set Your Soul Free in the second set. It's a near perfect uh, uh, show. If you took just like those segments and combined them into one set, you'd have an incredible set there. That's that's a good show. Dicks yeah, 2019, I, I don't show. think is one of, I don't think 2019 Dicks is one of the stronger Dicks runs overall, but that's a good show. Yeah, no, it's not. The Sunday night has some weak moments. Friday night has a pretty weak first set, albeit a really good second set. But yeah, that August 31st show, I really enjoyed. So let's go ahead and listen to some of the driving wall of sound, which comprises the September 2nd, 2016, No Men and No Man's Land.
words about Sinlon. Sinlon's environmentally friendly. There's no watering. It's water conservation. No use of pesticide products. No mowing. Super low maintenance, and you save money. Sinlon uses bio-based ingredients such as soy and sugarcane. It's made in the USA, down in Georgia. They're the largest manufacturer and installer of synthetic grass and have a USDA bio-based certification. This is the safest and cleanest turf available. It's great for kids and pets. You get no muddy shoes, socks, or even paws. Professional and certified distributors and installers are located nationwide who deliver a premium quality product that's highly durable and UV stabilized. Free time is at a premium these days. You really should be able to enjoy your yard instead of working to maintain it. You can have it in your yard where grass will not grow. It can be green all year. and It's great for residential homes, playgrounds, roofs, agility, golf holes in your backyard, and many more projects. So... Go to sinlon.com slash beer. All right. What a jam. Just a wall of noise and insanity. So we're going to talk about walls of sound here in segment two. And to kick things off, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite bands of the last 10 years. I've discussed them before, but they will forever deserve my and your attention. The greatest late night noise trio from Cleveland, Ohio, Emeralds. I mean, this band thankfully released their entire catalog on Bandcamp back on the very first Friday. Artists receive all your money Friday in May 2020, which feels like 17 years ago at this point. Emeralds is John Elliott, Steve Housechild, and Mark McGuire. They were a fantastic noise drone trio in the early part of the 2010s, late part of the aughts. We are going to play something off of their record, What Happened, from 2009, a song called Disappearing Ink. So I was introduced to this band back in the fall of 2009 on Fantasy Tour. It's been blowing my mind ever since. For a time, they took the place of Fish from a jam standpoint, simply because Fish didn't really jam in 2009. They kind of did, but they really didn't. And these 20-ish minute drone jams were everything to me. What Happened is one of the dozens of Emeralds releases that came out in January 2009 and was released on LP in 2010 following their phenomenal record, Does It Look Like I'm Here, being released in summer 2010. The song in question, Disappearing Ink, is like many Emeralds tunes. It's 15 minutes. It builds to a climactic droney peak. It sounds like a literal shimmering wall of sound, and it will mess with your mind. Not much more I need to say. Emeralds are great. Their music is all over Bandcamp. Give them a spin. Give them some money. Listen to them. All the members release a ton of music. It's just fantastic stuff. Sit back. Soak it in. It's incredible.
Okay. Thank you, Brian. I need to, uh... I have to get some more emeralds up in my life. I know you've featured some Mark McGuire on the podcast, which I've liked quite a bit. So, I need to... I need to get back into some emeralds. But I'm going to talk about a band that's entirely different than emeralds. This is a band who I think I've mentioned on, um podcast just in terms of our top albums of the 2010s but i don't know if i've ever given them their own showcase this band is called fucked up and we're going to talk about kind of uh the albums david comes to life as well as uh their zodiac albums in particular year of the tiger i think we're going to try to play the title track from year of the tiger so like i was saying if memory serves i had put David Comes to Life in the lower quadrant of my top albums, the 2010s list. I really like it that much. It's a classic. But aside from that, I'm not sure I've ever talked about this band on the podcast, which is kind of weird given how much I listen to them. So, Fucked Up is a Toronto-based band of which I believe six members, three of whom are guitarists. They're basically the closest thing we had today to uh, modern-day Husker Du or Mission of Burma, which is to say... Shoegaze riffs play lightning fast to create a unique brand of hardcore punk that's fit for stadiums. I mean, you can kind of also think of them as a more aggro version of Foo Fighters who in themselves are basically a less aggro version of Husker Du. I know that David Grohl is a big fan of Husker Du. Bob Mould sang in one of uh, the Foo Fighters albums at one point. So kind of what connects Fucked Up to their punk roots are the antics and the gruff bark of their frontman, Damon Abraham, who I know fashions his vocal style after that of uh, Jerry A. from uh, the seminal 80s Portland, Oregon punk band Poison Idea. And when Abraham is not fronting Fucked Up, he's actually got a pretty great podcast about uh, how musicians and various celebrities first got into punk music. And he's really quite the genre historian. Uh, that podcast is called Turned Out a Punk, and I highly recommend it. I mean, he, you know, he sings like a possessed drill sergeant, but he seems like he's a bit of a teddy bear. I've seen Fucked Up Live, and he's really fond of making dick jokes on stage, which I'm, I can always appreciate. So... I like this band because, simply put, they whip up a huge wall of sound. They've got three guitarists. They make their records with as many tracks as early Smashing Pumpkins albums had. And when they aren't putting up full lengths, they make APs based. Uh, I mean, they make EPs based on the animals in the Chinese zodiac calendar. That kind of sound like Mogwai trying to be a stadium band with the guy who eats glass on vocals, which you'll hear in uh, "You're the Tiger." Their most recent album, which came out last year, called Dose Your Dreams, it's got disco songs. And they really try hard not to be pigeonholed. Um, the members of Fucked Up have dozens of side projects, too. The best, I think, of which might be the band Young Gov, which is a delightful power pop project from the guitarist Ben Cook. All that said, I still think David Comes to Life is their best album to date. Something of a concept album about a factory worker who meets a beautiful protester at the factory. The protester dies. Nah, who cares? It's unimportant. There's huge riffs, big hooks, big psychedelic wah-wah guitar solos. And if you don't mind the barked vocals, you will absolutely enjoy this band if the wall of sound drive of the uh, September 2nd, 2016, No Man's Is Your Thing. So let's hear a little bit of... Uh, Year of the Tiger 
by Fucked Up. Thank you for hanging with us here in episode 106, where we tried to replace in some ways the joy of a fish dicks run. I so hope that we get a chance to do it in 2021. The way that we are handling things, it almost looks impossible, but I am uh, hoping that significant things will change over the next, say, eight months. How about that? Okay, that's solid. I'll take it. I'll take it. So, in effort to do so, we covered two of the best jams that have ever been produced at Dick's throughout the 2010s runs uh, at Dick's Sporting Goods Up Arena, Dick's Sporting Goods Park. I don't know what Dick's Sporting Goods. Dick's is what we know of it as in Commerce City, Colorado. Segment one, we talked about the sand from September 2nd, 2012. In doing so, we compared it to the sensation that you get from eating edibles, which is so true. (laughs) I talked about Kiki Pow's Hissy, the song Hissy Part 2. Dave talked about Stonegrass, a new project from Matthew Doc Dunn, song T. In segment two, where we talked about the wall of sound no Man in No Man's Land from September 2nd, 2016. I talked about Emerald's What Happened, the song Disappearing Ink. Dave talked about Fucked Up, David Comes to Life in Zodiac series, song Year of the Tiger. So just a reminder, you can always find us on social media. 
We are on Twitter at at underscore beyond the pond. It's one word. Sometimes Brian tweets, sometimes I tweet. Who knows? So on Spotify, you can find every song that we featured in every episode of Beyond the Pond in one big, unwieldy playlist called the Beyond the Pond Podcast Songs. We try to do it as soon as possible when the episode goes up. As always, Spotify is good for playlists. It's good for auditioning. But if you hear something that you like, please go on to Bandcamp and buy the shit out of it. Buy vinyl. Buy on Bandcamp. Do whatever it takes to get money into the hot little hands of the artists you love. Spotify isn't exactly good for that, although it certainly is convenient on the subway and whatnot. We are a proud part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Please check out the other Osiris Podcast at osirispod.com. And leave us an iTunes review. We love reading them, and we're a little bit sad. The lack of iTunes reviews has been lately. They're getting kind of long in the tooth. Seriously, go into iTunes, do some stars, leave us a review. It increases our visibility in Tim Cook land, and that's what we want. Absolutely. So publishing structure, you guys know by now. Every other Tuesday, Tuesdays have no feel. Um, we've got three episodes actually coming out here in September, including this one. We're really excited for you guys to hear them all. And um, we're planning out our fall series right now, and we're really excited about that. Um, so keep listening. Keep hanging with us. We're having a really good time doing this. Yeah, Tuesdays had no feel until Fish started doing dinner in a movie on Tuesday nights. It's a good thing. So, yeah, it doesn't have a ton of feel, but it has the feel if you get a reward at the end of the day if you make it that far. So, some kind of feel. And if you've gotten this far, we applaud you. Thank you for hanging with us as we did this supersized Dicks episode. And please come back. In two weeks, we'll join hands, we'll say kumbaya, and we will go beyond the pond. Beyond the Pond podcast is part of Osiris Media. It is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman.